together for Change Series. I'm your host, Marvin O'Kello. Following the untimely death of George Floyd in 2020, I've taken on the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion officer for the Halifax Wanderers, a club whose mission statement is to bring the community together through sport. As of 2021, we started the podcast as a means of continuing the conversation in a safe space. My aim is that by having these tough and sometimes awkward conversations, we can begin to break down barriers and strengthen a culture of diversity and inclusion. We would like to acknowledge that the land on which the Wanderers Grounds, office, and training facility is located is the unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. Today, I'm joined by Danielle McNally, who is the lead physiotherapist for the club since the 2019 season. Danielle had one of the toughest jobs in 2021 as the team endured a long series of games in the Manitoba bubble before employee games in other stadiums once COVID restrictions were lifted across the country. She is one of a handful of female full-time employees for the Halifax Wanderers and a great human being. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks for having me, Marvin. No worries. It's my pleasure. It's it's long overdue as somebody who's been one of the original 10 members of the committee. Um, it's great to finally have you on and uh, have people get to know a little bit more about you. Yeah, we always have great chats, you and I, so I'm glad to get to do this. Definitely. So we'll start right off the bat. You know, we you were one of the first five people actually to join the committee um, when we started back. And for me, it was an obvious choice as somebody who's at the time was, I think, the only really female athlete on the football side. So what is it that brought you to join the Wanderers Committee? Why did you feel that this was something that was important? Yeah, I guess so. there were a couple of reasons. I mean, I, I felt fortunate to be asked to join. Um, you're right. Yeah, at the time, I was the only woman that was working on the football side of things. So I felt lucky to be given the opportunity to participate in discussions that I think, you know, those types of discussions are vital to a successful club. So a club that thinks bigger than itself is a club that's gonna attract people to it and a club that's gonna grow. And, and I felt really happy to be able to kind of be in those discussions with that committee. Mm-hmm. Um, and the timing, like you said, was of the kind of initiation of the committee was, was shortly after the death of George Floyd. And I think like a lot of people, I was kind of, doing a lot of reflection there were a lot of discussions around racism and I was kind of coming to the realization that good intentions weren't weren't good enough at the time I kind of had this idea that in this space as a white woman my you know my responsibility is to listen and to learn and to you know to listen to the voices of other people who who may be more impacted by racism but then I kind of realized that that was a bit of a cop-out and that's putting the responsibility and the burden on other people to teach me and I realized that that's my responsibility um, and it's not my responsibility to learn, to, sure to learn, but not just to learn, but also to act. Uh, and the committee felt like a good place where I could, where I could go about my, my own learning, but also take action. Well said, honestly. And, you know, because the goal of the committee is to impact change and not just to talk about it, but as we've said many times, to talk the walk, talk the talk, but also walk the walk. And um, I really commend you for somebody who has been very honest, as you just said, you know, you want to be an ally and you want to do the right things, but intention isn't enough, you know, and it's, it's very important that, that we acknowledge that. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, we want to excuse ourselves or, or kind of defend ourselves because our intentions were good, but you can have, as I've learned a lot of times over the last couple of years is you can have good intentions and still be wrong. You know, it, it doesn't change the fact that you can be wrong and you may need to learn something new. 100%. And on this journey, you know, I've learned many times that I've been wrong, but it's the beauty of having these types of conversations and willing to put your best foot forward is that you will be told you're wrong sometimes, but I don't take that as a bad thing. I'm, I take it as a great thing because it's an opportunity to grow. 
you know, we've had some great conversations, just the two of us as a group. Um, and it's, it's been a, it's been a great journey for myself. And I feel like I've grown into the man that I was meant to be through these tough. And as I said, in the intro, awkward conversations sometimes, and you're somebody who I feel really comfortable with. So I really do thank you for, you know, being on the committee and as somebody who has three sisters, um, it was important to me that the committee was half, you know, with women and half with men, because, I relate to both and um, I hope that it's helped you being on the committee, having those, you know, sisters um, on the committee as well. So you don't feel like you're in a room full of men. Yeah. And, and I think we've talked about this before that, I mean, everybody on the committee and, you know, were people that you kind of reached out to or people that you knew. And I think that the type of people that you reach out to all have a variety of opinions, but we also have a lot in common. Uh, and I think so the men on this committee, they want to hear the women's voices. And, you know, we're all very much, I, I feel like a partnership. Um, and people that come in with with opinions, but also wanting to listen to the opinions of others. Exactly. That's just it. We're all we're all willing to put our best foot forward. And if that means sometimes being told we're wrong. And um, and like we said in one of our first calls, you know, we're, we're holding each other accountable. And that's what I think we need more of in the world from a business perspective, a sport perspective. We really have to hold each other accountable to people we care about and people we also don't care about. We just got to there's got to be accountability. Um, so. You, in your role as lead physiotherapist, um, had an interesting 2021 season, given all the injuries and, you know, with Steve having to come home. Um, what was what were some of those tough moments that you had that you remember in 2021 and how did you get through it? I'd say 2021 was was tough. Yeah, I don't think you'd talk to anybody involved with this league, you know, athlete or player that would say it wasn't a, a challenging season. It was a bit of a a sprint that just kept going. So, I mean, with the COVID restrictions, we had a condensed schedule. We had the same amount of games, but a shorter period of time, which right off the bat is going to be tough for athletes. Uh, we had a bubble and then we had a lot of travel. So yeah, it was a really challenging year on players' bodies, which took a lot of work on their part, you know, just to recover and kind of do the things that they need to do to compete. But for me, I would say that the toughest piece was the mental aspect that condensed schedule and you're just always going, you know, you're flying from one place to the other and then you're kind of regrouping and then getting ready for the next game. And it's always kind of coming at you. And starting um, in a bubble probably wasn't easy either. And being in a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Winnipeg was a challenging bubble the PEI, we had a little bit more, the, the hotel had some outside green space around it. And, and in Winnipeg, the situation was a little bit different. The outside space was a little bit more, um, you know, in the middle of the city and stuff. So it, it was a little bit different um, mentally. And we all found anyone that had been in the bubble the year before, it, it wasn't as easy the second time around. You know, that was a, a challenging way to start for sure. And I mean, definitely great to the league to being able to get it done and getting our season started in, in a way, in a time that made sense, in a way that made sense, but it, it did make it challenging. And yeah, so that, that recovery for the mental aspect was tough for me. And I feel like you know, even at the best of times, you want to have something to give players when you show up every day, you know, whether it's like you're engaging with them with energy, positivity, trying to, to bring something rather than kind of taking energy away from, from the environment. I find it tough to kind of reset, recharge, let's go again, like let's have something to bring, let's have, have something for them. So to have that full tank, um, that was to me the challenging part about 2021. I can appreciate that, um, especially, you know, you've, you shared with me the fact that you're more of an introvert probably than, than, than an extrovert. You know, I've even talked to Dylan about the experiences in the 2020 bubble when you guys were in PEI. He even mentioned something about, you know, <laughs> barber shops, you know, and how you prefer things to be quiet um, because it's, it's more pleasing for your introverted side of yourself. 
So it's interesting that you say that. <laughs> well, they, they laughed at me because, you know, again, in the bubble with our group, I was the only woman that was with the team. And so the staff always kind of eat together and we'd have a laugh and be talking about stuff. And they, they, I'd be like, at the end of the day, I just want to get away from you guys. I'm going to talk to any of you. And, Dan and you know, those guys are extroverts. And they'd kind of look at me like, what? And laugh. I'm like, it's no, no offense. I just don't want to be anywhere near you guys for the next eight hours. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Work to life balance, even in sports, it's it's important. Yeah, that's just how I recharge, you know. So it, this this year w- was tough to find ways to to recharge without my usual kind of tools. And in in the bubble in Winnipeg, you know, the first couple of weeks was was a heat wave too. On top of all the mental aspects you just talked about, the physical was really elevated with the heat being there. You know what what was that like? There is really nothing that our uh, players didn't have to deal with this year. We had. There were fires. We had poor air quality. So it was like, can we train today? This the whole city's, you know, under a, a, a fog of, of smoke. And then there was heat. There was, you know, anything that you can think of the players had thrown at them this year. And I mean, we're, we're lucky to have such a good group. They, um, they just roll, roll with it. Right. And so, mm. so it, it was challenging for sure. And I think, again, that comes back to the mental piece also to mm. be able to say like, these things are out of our control. Let's control what we can control. And, um, uh, and just move forward. Definitely. I mean, you guys did an incredible job. Um, you know, for, from a fan perspective, sometimes they just, they watch the games and they see results and they get, they get unhappy and they're like, Oh, we should have won. We should have done this. But you know, you know, better than anybody that there's a lot more to um, what happens on the field in terms of mental and physical preparation. So I really tried when I speak to fans to let them know that we did an incredible job given we were missing gems, you know, he was at the gold cup and then we had Peter getting injured and, you know, it's, it's a credit to you and the rest of the staff there. And also the, the players that, um, that we were able to even be in a position that make playoffs in our last game of the season, given how rough the start of the season was for us. Yeah. I think when you see every day what they put into it and how much it means to them and how much of themselves that they, they give to this, you just have an appreciation really for what it takes to get those results when you see everything that goes into it. Exactly. And I mean, you, you were, you would have been one of the only women uh, in the bubble. It's representing the Wanderers. What was that like? Did you find yourself being lonely in any, in any way, or did you fe- miss the female interaction or did you get that from other female staff um, from maybe some of the other teams? There were certainly a lot, there are quite a few women in the bubble. Oh, quite, I think about half the therapists in the bubble and and uh, last year, I'm, I don't know what the breakdown would be this year, but last year I believe we were about half male, female uh, for therapists. So that's really nice. And then there's some, I think you had Kira on that did a podcast as well. So Kira yeah. was there briefly. So yeah, there, there are lots of women in and around the, the league organization that are kind of there as well. I guess I never really thought about, do I need female versus male interaction? I mean, I'm not one to kind of seek out, you know, a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. So I like to, I like, uh, you know, the group that I'm with is a, a group that I really like. And, uh, you know, that was kind of good for me. Uh, we have a really good staff. We have a great group of players. And I think that we all get along pretty well. Um, so I don't think I usually feel being the only woman in this group, I guess, if that makes sense. It's just yeah. a, a group of people that I work with. And if there were more women or, you know, no other women, it would feel pretty similar. But it's always good to have at least more than one, for sure. <laughs> well, just, yeah, just for, for, you know, to see other women in those positions for sure is what you want to see. Uh, but yeah, for social engagement and that kind of stuff, I think the other women there, it wasn't like we saw each other out. It was just like, this. we're just all here doing our job. And it wasn't a novelty, I guess, to see each other there. It was just like, 
we're a group of therapists and we are all doing our job and interacting in the way that we would with any of the other therapists. So that was kind of nice too, that it just was normal. No, and it should be, you know, it, we're in the age 2022, we're trying to normalize these labels and things. And it's good to hear that that wasn't an issue in the bubble. So that leads me to my next question, which is what is it about this Wanderers club and community that, that you really love? Well, I'm, I'm sure I'll talk about it a lot, but we, we do really have a, a special group of players here. You know, for anyone that has spent, you know, a time in a, in a team environment, in a good team environment, you kind of know what it's like is like in a team environment, there's a lot of laughter, there's a lot of joy, it's really loud, people make fun of each other. And for, for me as my work environment, it's definitely not a typical work environment, it's not a typical office environment. And I love that environment of joy, uh, you know, and that's the only way that I can describe it is joy, there's a lot of passion. And I think a lot of times in in more, you know, typical office situations, everyone has a common goal, but in sport, the goal is so obvious. Yeah. If you know what I mean, like everybody's pushing for one goal every day and everybody's on that page. And that's just a really kind of lucky environment to work in. The cool thing I think here that that I haven't seen everywhere that I work is that there's a real family atmosphere among the players. Like it's really not unusual to hear the players describe each other as family or as brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of love that they have for each other. And, and that's just really nice to, to witness. But I think when you look at the bigger community, the bigger picture of, of the fans and all that kind of stuff, the fans have a lot of love for this club, but they also want to get to know players as individuals I mean um, you look at you know Missy who who has gotten to know some of these guys on you know a family level right they're over for supper or someone like Michelle who just Michelle Murray who take an active interest in in these people not just as athletes and and as fans of the game but an interest in them as people and I think that that's something that the players also reciprocate which I don't think you would see everywhere like the, the players really have a love for the fans and and a love for the club they love the city they love being here and I think they talk about it and I I think it's something that you can see when they're when they're here and I think that's that's a really great thing about this club yeah definitely I completely agree as as somebody who didn't always live in Halifax um you know as you know I was from New Brunswick and Kenya before that the how I summarize why I like Halifax is it's big enough that there's opportunities you know for work and and collaboration all these things but it's small enough that you can run into somebody on spring garden that you haven't seen in a year, just walking some of the more common streets. And you can just, it's, it's happened to me a ton of times, you know, I just go to the mall or spring garden somewhere and you run into somebody you haven't seen since high school. You run into somebody you worked with a couple of years ago. The energy is just so positive everywhere you go. You know, the, it, there's definitely places where, or days where it isn't, but for the most part, everyone's so welcoming. You know, and in the Wanderers community, even more so, like, I can't tell you how many people, even as somebody who's on the, not on the football staff, but on the business side, the people reach out to say, great job with this and that, like, it's just, you're right, it's, it's like, it's a family. We've heard a few of our guys say that, even like when Lapare joined our team coming from Ottawa, he enjoyed the environment at the Wanderers grounds, which is second to none, in my opinion, but then also over the course of the year, I touched base with him and he was like, you know, it really it does feel like a family here. You know, the fans embrace us, not just as athletes, but really as human beings. And I'm really proud of that culture that we are nurturing here in Halifax. That's awesome. And, and I think you're right. Like the size of the city is just perfect for for a team like this because it's big enough that you get this great big loud crowd and it's really fun and it's really engaging environment but it's small enough that you can expect to know some of these players on a personal level you know that they're going to be there it's not like you're you know at a 
an NHL or an NFL game where they're kind of away, right? They're people that you know and that you come down to the, the sidelines and you might get an autograph afterwards or, you know, they might be at your kid's school or their minor soccer practice. So, so that is a really nice kind of combination, I guess. And I mean, today is Women and Children's Sports Day. And you are somebody I really wanted to highlight, which is why we're having this conversation today. But there's women are experiencing a change in culture, you know, with the feminist movement leading the charge. Um, what else do you hope will change for women moving forward and in sports specifically? I was kind of looking at this question and and I it's funny. I don't know if it's women experiencing a change in culture or culture is changing in the way it reflects women. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, it's we're starting to reflect women better. I mean, I don't think women are changing, you know, women, especially in sport. I mean, there have been passionate women in sport, you know, or like uh, when you look back to early leaders of women in sport to the women now that are trying to push for professional leagues, all those things. But I do feel like you're right that there's starting to be more exposure uh, for some of those leagues or those athletes in particular. Um, and I think when, you know, the obvious answer of what I hope to see change for women in sport is, you know, I want to see that women that that are running club, you know, professional organizations, women that are running leagues. I want to see uh, professional women's leagues that women can make a living in. I want to see women in all, you know, as, as team doctors, team therapists, head coaches, assistant coaches, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that's, that's kind of a given. And, and what really, I feel like a lot of this movement now is kind of focusing on, I guess, I, I'm not sure if you follow any kind of female driven social media, like sports social media, but like the gist is one that's uh, run by women and kind of directed towards women and together is another one that really focuses on female athletes and, and women that are doing new things or breaking ground in, in men's sport or in women's sport. But um, for me, I guess, what I really would like to see change is that when I was growing up, like I've, I've always participated in sport. And then as I kind of moved out of that and I worked in sport and so I've always been involved and it was like I was allowed to participate as a woman but it didn't really belong to me if that makes sense like Mm. it belonged to men but I was also allowed to participate and I think that that was that was something that was not just perpetuated by men that's not that's not to say this is a male thing this is just a society thing that Mm. like it, it when I was a little kid so my dad is a American football coach. So he coached men's sports. Mm -hmm. And I can remember being like so young that, and people all the time would come up to my dad and he has three daughters. So they'd be like, oh no, like football coach, three daughters, no sons. Like you must be so disappointed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like that wasn't a weird thing to say. And I just remember thinking, wow, that that's odd. You know what I mean? Like, that, yeah, like it's so demeaning. And it's like, but to them, they thought they were complimenting the male side of it, but not looking like, at how oh, what a sin, you know, like no, no sons to take after you kind of thing. And we're all, you know, we were all in sports and I was just kind of like, okay, I'm being told that this is not what I do doesn't count really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you get older and you're, you're a fan and, and, and you, you always have to qualify what, you know, you know, you can't just be a fan of watching football on TV. It's like, well, who's this, who won the Super Bowl in this year? You know, you have to kind of qualify what, you know, as you get older. And then when I was a little bit older than that, and you're, you know, you're an athlete and, and you're, you know, whatever classmates are like, well, yeah, you're, you're good, but you'd never make a boys team. You're kind of always mm-hmm. in that comparison mode of, yeah, you can be good, but it's not as good as if, you know, the, the male equivalent of our age group. Mm-hmm. And even when I was in university, there were, there were male athletes, you know, like I was a varsity athlete, there were male varsity athletes that said that the men's football and hockey programs bring in the money that pays for your program. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you don't bring anything to the table. You get to play because we play allow you to basically yeah yeah what we do allows you to play Mm -hmm. and I felt like 
when I kind of look back, I was always told this does not belong to you. Mm. And I just hope that that young girls coming now and, and that women's sports in general, like young women, adult women, my age women, that, that we stop having to be qualified by our comparison to men's sports. Like women's sports just is. It belongs to women. It belongs to girls it, as much as it does to the women, to men and boys. And I, I just I just have always rejected that idea that that I don't belong to this community. I, I belong to the sport community because that's where I've spent my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to have someone, you know, if I'm weighing in on sports in a conversation, I can see it in some people's faces that they're like, eh, she doesn't she doesn't really know what she's talking about, mm-hmm. but I'm as qualified as any, you know, male sports fan to, to give my opinion. Right. So I'd say in my opinion, sometimes even more because you're, you're in the world, you've been in the hockey world, the soccer world, like as a physiotherapist, I'd say in a lot of situations, you're probably more qualified to speak than some men. Maybe, but, but, but I, you know, I, I, I don't know, but it's just that I just want to feel like that it belongs to me, it belongs to all women and girls as much as it belongs to men. It doesn't need a comparison. And when you, uh, gosh, don't don't ever read the the comments on social media posts on women's sports. Oh it, it will just make you sad. You know, I just want to see that we don't need to be qualified by. Oh well, that team. You know, it's the best women in the world. They couldn't beat a they couldn't beat a men's high school team. You know, I, I feel like when we talk about men's sport, you know, the people that go watch the Mooseheads aren't commenting on the Mooseheads. Oh, they wouldn't beat the worst NHL team. The comparison is irrelevant. It's you know what I mean? Completely irrelevant. You got to compare apples to apples. And I hate when it's a lot of social media is people comparing apples to oranges all the time. And I'm glad you actually said that because um very recently um wanderers fans who follow me will will know that it was very controversial post um i had highlighted the 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 i forget her name but and i should have remembered it but she's refing in the men's african cup of nations competition and she's one of the first women to be able to ref in that and she was speaking about how she hopes to one day ref in the men's world cup and you know i you, you, I put one of those little sliders where you can you can love it a lot or a little, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And and uh, one person responded to me in a DM saying that um, <laughs> this is this is wrong. Women just aren't of the same psychology to be able to ref men's sports. And I'm not going to say who the person is, but it started an interesting conversation. And I I posted their message with blocking their name to start a conversation and it did a lot of people messaged me saying what is this person on what what high horse were they sitting on but when i got to the nitty-gritty of it with him he he was of the opinion that women just aren't (laughs) as intelligent when it comes to the dealing with emotions and in soccer he literally said that you know they're emotional beings and yada yada the same argument that a lot of people make when it comes to um the roles that women play in sports and i was quick to let him know that first of all that's that's wrong you know it's women are equal and as somebody who has three sisters i'll be the first to say that a lot of times women are smarter psychologically and there's a lot of science to back that and the whole emotional argument is the one i hate the most men are emotional I have three sisters and I'm the most emotional of the four of us, to be honest. (laughs) I cry the most. I like, but it's just a horrible thing that people say as an excuse, but it's also been proven that men are just as emotional, if not more emotional than women when it comes to sports because of testosterone and because of adrenaline. You know, I've, I've had friends cry over Raptors losing the Maple Leafs, like, (laughs) and it's mind blowing to me that people are still making that argument today that emotions and psychology women aren't qualified the rules are the exact same for men's and women's soccer you play with the same ball it's 11 people it's a net 
Like it, it really and truly bothers me that there's still people who think that today. Yeah. And, and I think also like, like you say about emotion, like since when is emotion something that we should be embarrassed about or that we should be trying to stifle? Like I, I think men and women, you know what I mean? Like I don't think being emotional is, is a bad thing, you know, being in touch with your emotions. And I, I don't think you will find an athlete at any high level that is not emotional about what they do. They're, they're mm-hmm. extremely passionate, you know, so that, I mean, to me is irrelevant, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. It's a mood point because emotion as much as it's been in the past, and this is one of the stigmas I think is really being erased in the last um, two, three years is that emotions aren't a negative thing. The emotions are what inspire people to try that extra bit, you know, go 110%. I had a conversation with somebody a couple of years ago, like if you take the anger and the fire out of a guy like Wayne Rooney, is he the same athlete? Probably not. That that intensity, that rage, that emotion that he that he plays with is actually what allows him to be a better athlete, to make that extra run, to to win that header, you know. And I'm glad that we're breaking down that stigma that emotions are a bad thing and they're only associated with women and crying, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 drama. You know, those are the words that always come up: crying, drama, emotional. And it's it's. I'm glad you said it because emotion is a good thing, you know, and I encourage all my male friends to cry, to, to talk about things that make you feel weird. And, and it's empowering, like, cause after you cry, what do you do? You feel better. And I think, I, I mean, I think you and I've talked about this in the past, but I think a lot of times male athletes kind of get this, this reputation of this kind of, um, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is this, this, uh, this toxic masculinity or whatever mm-hmm, it is, mm-hmm. but I have seen more, you know, more healthy male relationships when it comes to showing your emotions, supporting someone who needs you and athletes than I have outside of sport, you know, like, and not just, you know, you've been injured and you're upset or we've lost a game and, and we're crying. Like you've lost, you know, a relationship has ended and you're having a hard time. You've lost a family member. You're going through something difficult. You're having a mental health issue that those are times where I've just as much seen, you know, teammates lean on each other. And I think that there is, you know, potential if you're in a, if you create the right environment for a really healthy emotional, you know, environment in, in the sport community. But I feel like, and I think it might be outside of sport that puts this kind of t- tough macho image that this is what, what it, it takes to be an athlete. And I think emotion is a big part of it. Definitely. And, you know, it's, it's that previous generation too. you know, the, our parents and our parents' parents who grew up in that macho world, where as the man, you're, you're the bread maker, you got to go work hard. And we don't talk about our emotions. You put them aside and you, you, you bring the food on the table and you take care of everything. And, and that's that, you know, we don't, we don't go to therapy. We don't talk about our feelings. And it's really great to see that changing. Um, I am somebody who's benefited from things like therapy and talking about things. I see even the struggle with my own father, you know, who grew up in a, in a, in African, East African culture where he was raised like that. And it's, it's hard to change when you're 40, 50, 60, and you've lived like that for so long. Um, And I'm really happy to see that change happening now, but it's, it is tough. It is tough for some people to break those stigmas that they, they grew up with. And um, you know, what, what do you say to those those women and men, you know, who have grown up with parents who, who, who are in that generation? Oh, that's, that's hard. I, I would say my, because that has not been my upbringing, I guess, both mm-hmm. my, you know, my dad, I guess, would work in a typical male, you know, American football, right? That, that, te- you know, masculine kind of environment, but he's just uh, kind of a, 
be who you are kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think when I, so I'm not really, I'm not really sure what I would say, I guess, but I, I, it does make me feel really glad to see in the younger, you know, as I work with younger generations, just the fact that they do seem to be encouraged to feel what they feel, whether they're boys or girls, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, you, you know, in, you're, you said you were visiting with some nephews, I think it was, you know, like, I feel like what, what their, my nephew is learning is different than what my male, you know, cousins or my dad would have been taught. And, and that, I think, while some people are maybe set in their mindset of their own ways, we're also changing, you know, maybe the messaging to ourself is, is, is stuck in that mentality. But I do feel like what we teach our kids is different these days. So when they teach their kids, it's also different. And I, I do think as, you know, you interact with the younger generation, you, you see them encouraged to, to feel what they feel and, and let that out and, and be good with that. Definitely. And even, even going back to the whole, you know, women and emotions in sport, it's something that really powers you, you know, and we saw in the last few years, a woman like Marta, um, who played in the men's league. Um, because she was good enough, you know, and there's, there's a few examples of that. I think there was even a female hockey player who ended up playing in men's leagues. And you're, you're starting to see a bit more of that happen to kind of debunk these myths that women can't do it at the highest level with men. And I hope you see a bit more of that, but at the same time, I hope it doesn't make more men think that that's how they have to qualify is by playing in a men's league, a woman going and playing in a men's league, because as you said, they're apples and oranges. And I'd rather see a woman compete with other women and thrive and be celebrated for doing well than say, oh, you, yeah, you're good, but you're not good enough to play with men. Yeah, I think, you know, I hope to see more professional leagues where women do get to compete at that highest level. And, and, you know, when we talk about men's sport, they have those, okay, if you don't play in the, you know, top league, there's a league right under that and another league under that and another league under that. And I think so many times for women, it's like, if you can make the top, great. But if not, there's nothing else you don't get to play anymore. And I think sometimes, you know, because there aren't these levels uh, for women that that pushes, you know, if you are good enough to play somewhere, then you should play there so I, I don't think women should play in men's leagues I don't think they shouldn't if if there is a place for them to play and they are talented enough to play there then great but I hope that there will be enough leagues for the talent that women have and and for places for women to play where you know that that's available to them as well that's a great point because you know one of my next questions is you know since the pandemic the girls have been dropping out of sports at an alarming rate and my question was going to be, why do you think this is happening? And I think you kind of touched on that. I think the lack of opportunities, like when men's leagues, one gets shut down, they can go play in a different league. They can transfer to a different team. Is, do you think that's part of the reason why there's a lot more girls and women dropping out of sport just because of lack of levels and, and, and teams for them to be able to migrate to and choose from? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly not a researcher on that, but and I would love to see what I'm sure there will be research about what's going on in the pandemic on a lot of different areas. So that will be interesting to see as it comes out. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, you know, so say like female Olympians or, or like that are, you know, or like the female soccer um, Olympic team. Mm -hmm. So they are having, you know, to, to leave the country to go and play places. And, and I think if you're playing a men's sport growing up and you, you know, say you play hockey and you want to make the NHL. If you don't, then there's also the AHL then there's the mm -hmm. East coast League, and there's the central league or the Southern professional league. And so for women, there's the Olympic team. And once you're done college, you know, there's the Olympic team. And if you don't, if you're not at that level, there's nowhere else to play. So I feel like when you're young, you know, really young and you have the dream, it's kind of like, well, I can, 
I can play. You know what I mean? I know that if I don't make the NHL, I can play. Mm -hmm. And for girls, it's like, well, I'm probably, I see that I'm probably not an Olympian. Is there really a place for me to play? And does that kind of affect the motivation, you know, without having those places to go? But I think, you know, not everybody is in, in sport to become, you know, a pro or to become an elite athlete. I think just as important are the people that just go for for enjoyment they go for health they go because they like being there they go because it's an affiliation and I think when we talk about you know men's and women's sport I think there are differences in in what we get out of it I don't Mm -hmm. think one is better than the other but there yeah then there's environments that you know just as a physiotherapist working I've worked in men's sport and I've worked in women's sport. And I, I would say, you know, intensity level, comp, compete level, you know, effort, all those things are the same, but what, what it looks like can be different. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it should, so differences are good. Yeah. So if I'm with a women's team and there's like four different conversations going on, there can still be four different conversations going on and everyone's focused mm-hmm. or some men's teams. If you see that it, it's, it's not quite the same, just the social aspect for, for men and women in certain teams can be different. So I think when we look at, you know, youth sport, like looking at the quality of experience that, that girls are having versus boys are having, are we providing with them with the quality of experience that they're looking for? And are they getting out of it, you know, what they need to get out of it to, to remain in it. And I think, you know, as someone that got so much out of sport that, uh, I find it really upsetting to hear that girls, I mean, they were already dropping out at a higher rate than, mm-hmm. than boys when you kind of hit the high school uh, age group and, and that they're dropping out even more. It certainly is, you know, it's a cause for concern because you do get so much out of participating in sport. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you really did touch on the why, um, maybe inadvertently, maybe on purpose, but because there isn't really lack of professional leagues and the financial benefit isn't even there, even if they do make a professional league, I think one of the things I read was even in the top pro league for women in North America and the, in the U S 60% of the athletes still have to have a second job, you know, Mm -hmm. because only the top 40% are making enough that they can have a living and not have to, you know, have a second career. So that probably is one of the deterrents. If, if, if I'm a parent and, and my daughter, you know, is, is good, but maybe I don't think she's in that top five percentile um, where a, a boy might only need to be in the top 25 percentile to have opportunities because there's 200 teams he can choose from in North America to go to where as a woman, if you're competing to be in that top 40% of women in that one league, who's making enough money to make a career, as a parent, you might even have to have the tough conversation with your, your daughter about, is this the right choice for you? Not because you're discouraging them, but you have to be realistic at a certain point. And until there is more leagues, more finances, more sponsorships being thrown at women's sports, I don't know if that will change. And that's where I really hope to see companies and businesses and organizations put their money where their mouth is when they talk about inclusion and, and supporting women support them by creating leagues, creating opportunities, creating sponsorships, creating funding, creating a livelihood that they can have. Our women's team is when compared to our men's team and their success is it's not even comparable. Women have been in the world cup. They just won the Olympics last year. Even on that, they got snubbed on the world, uh, the team of the year. There's not a single woman on, on the world team of the year, even though you had Canada winning the Olympics, you know, it's, it's, it's so frustrating to see. And, that- and I do think you're right that, I mean, it- finances will change a lot and I I do think that that's you know you see more um, athlete ambassadors being women or more you know big endorsement deals for women and I don't think it's even necessarily out of a, a desire to I don't know to do something that's 
that's good or that's new. I think people, companies are seeing that it's financially beneficial to them to do this mm -hmm. because, you know, people want it. Like I want to be sold all my athletic wear by female athletes. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I want to see them as the, you know, the models and all the ads. That's who I want to see. Yeah. And I think that they're starting to realize that there is a big market of women who, who watch sport, who participate in sport and who want to see these women compete and they want to be, you know, to see them as brand ambassadors, as, as brands themselves, you know, not just the male athletes. So I think it will change, but I think it is not out of the goodness of anyone's hearts. It's because they see that there's value in women's sport. Definitely. And I mean, there's lots of people like yourself, like Kira, who I had on the podcast, like Kenzie Lalonde, who's now going to the Olympics. You know, there's, there's a lot of great women who are giving girls that representation that inspires them to be to say, I can do that. And I hope we get more women, not just at the athletes level, not just at the physiotherapist level, but I want to see more women as directors, as presidents, as GMs, because there are a ton of them that are qualified, but we're just not quite there yet in giving women the top level opportunities. And I want to definitely see a bit more of that in the next few years, as you just said, the financial opportunities become actually sustainable for the women's side of sport. So, you know, as somebody who has three sisters, I've always been able to see how much women struggle to be accepted in sports, you know, to be picked last when they were, when you were in junior high and high school, when there's, you know, you line up everybody in a row of 20 people and, you know, there's two captains and one person picks and the other person picks. It almost always ended up that it was like the last 10 people were girls. How do we go about changing things like that? Is it from the children's level talking to them? I mean, I just think that's a bad way to pick teams. Let's just not do that. Oh, you completely know I mean? agree. Completely agree. Because it became like a popularity contest in a lot of times. Yeah. No, but when we're talking about like barriers to women in sport in general, I mean, I have to qualify anything I say with saying that this is my experience. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I'm also... A, a white woman, cisgender, I'm heterosexual, I'm of average height and weight. So the people that want to monitor my presence in sport are the fewest, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? There are, I feel like, you know, people want to monitor and, and validate women's presence in sport uh, and, and gatekeep, I guess, our, our presence in sport. And I've certainly had the fewest obstacles. And, and that's something that, that I acknowledge for sure. So when we talk about kind of barriers to women's in sport, I, I think part of that is this, this feeling that, that we need to be validated. Like, unless you are personally interviewing somebody uh, for a job, you know, you don't, you don't need to ask them their qualifications. And I feel like for women in sport, it's something that you have to like prove to people and explain to people all the time, you know, personally, just working with, with male athletes, it's, oh, have you, do you think you can handle these big guys? Or do you, have you worked with something like this before? And I find myself often having to validate, you know, my presence or justify my presence somewhere. And unless you are directly hiring someone, you know, you don't need to a woman to justify their presence anymore in their job than a man does. They, they if they are hired there is because they are qualified for that job. And I think that, you know, when we, when we start kind of trying to police isn't the right word but to monitor women's presence in sport I think that we we add additional barriers to them just being there I think if you you know are qualified and I think if organizations have good hiring practices where they're looking for the best people um, then I think that's important in, in taking away some of those barriers for women to to be involved in sport at all levels 
I don't know if you know Laura Woods, who's um, a commentator in, in, in Europe for BT Sport. I can't remember, BT or Sky Sports. She actually talked about this recently where she gets criticized a lot and men will come up to her and say, you know, her opinion isn't valid, you know, and she's she's somebody who played the sport and has been around um, the men's pro game for a long time as a commentator. And, and she's constantly having to validate her opinion, as you just said. And you have to really justify what you're doing to people that, that aren't your boss, you know what I mean? Which mm. it, that's really the people that hire you and the people that, that, you know, are, their job is to evaluate your performance. Those are the only people that should be asking for your credentials. And I think, you know, when we talk about women in sport, it's not just your performance. They also, you know, there are a lot of, you know, female athletes, you'll see it, their parents, you know, what they, what they look like, what they're wearing. There are a lot of other things that people feel like they have, the, the right to weigh in on and I think that when we let the performance speak and we let people just you know focus on what it is that they do and not not worry about you know their previous experience just understand that if they're there if they're in the role they're qualified and and they're capable I think that's a good spot to wrap up and I'm gonna you know speak to generality here but everyone who's listening I think it's really important somebody's use this analogy the other day, you know, people who work with kids, um, the ones who are really good at it are because they treat the kids as equals. They talk to them as if they're, they're equal as like an adult, you know, like my nieces and nephews and other kids that I've been around, like I try to treat them as an equal and don't try to treat them as some dumb little kid or whatever. Right. And I think that can be replicated even, you know, when you're speaking to women, it's really important. We treat them as an equal because they are. I challenge people to stop asking women to validate their experiences and why they're at, they have a seat at the table. If they're there, they're meant to be there. So support, support them and don't treat them as any last, don't ask any question that you wouldn't ask a male. Don't ask a female because it's disrespectful and it's just out of date. Danielle, thank you for coming on. Thank you for what you've done um, with leading the boys and keeping them fit and making sure that we're able to compete and hopefully we'll get a title for the team this year and through your hard work and Steve and the other guys and thank you for being on the committee and somebody who I call a friend and a co-worker and just somebody who we share a common goal and I look forward to working together more and uh, deconstructing all these stigmas and creating opportunities for more girls and women in sport and just bringing the community together through sport as we always say we want to do thanks so much for having me marvin it's always nice to talk sports with you because like you say we both have that uh, that passion in common so it always leads to a good conversation definitely and as always thank you fans for coming and listening together from a ways. Mm-hmm.